there is always something. We take things for granted until they don't work. Well, today begins a stewardship sermon series entitled Lesser Known Sayings. And today's sermon is based on a very familiar saying that you all know. It's better to give than to receive. I'd like to put a little twist on that today and say that it's better to give than to deceive. How often have we heard that the best things in life are free? And yet, in truth, the best things in life are not always free. The gift of life is not free. The gift of liberty we enjoy is not free. The faith we celebrate costs cost Jesus his life. And in just a little while, we'll be celebrating communion when we focus on the cost our Savior paid so that we might, that we might truly know what salvation is, that we might know new life that comes out of death. The incredible experience of loving and and being loved often comes with a price, sometimes too complicated to calculate. No, the best things in life are not always free. A church member was going to the home of another member to make a call about stewardship. This was back in the time when those were done. You may have remembered it. This church, I think, participated, as many did, a few decades ago in the Pony Express um, when people actually canvassed in each other's homes about stewardship. Well, as the member welcomed the person into his home, he said, sit down, but I hope you won't take very much time. I've had a very busy week, and it seems like the church is always asking for money. Well, the member who came to visit said, I have a story I'd like to share that might speak to you and some of your concerns. And here's what took place. He said, about 35 years, a boy was born into our family. My wife and I were young, struggling on a very small salary, happy at his coming, but wondering how we would meet all the expenses. From the moment we knew he was coming, he began to cost us money, food, clothes, doctors, medications. But we learned that love doesn't count the cost. It only enjoys the benefits. You know what? We kept our son. (laughs) He grew into a fine young man, bringing Martha and me the kind of happiness I can't describe. He didn't earn a single penny, and the older he got, the more he cost. We remember the day he started working part-time at the drugstore. The experience was more valuable than the paycheck, and he started dating, and at times we found ourselves paying for two instead of one. Guess what? We kept our son. He had a fine mind, and we knew he was college material, that it would cost a lot, but we kept our son. It was off to school he went. Oh, how we missed him. We missed his off-key singing, his keeping us awake at night playing his loud music. 
his heated arguments over the things he thought he knew so much about, it was right after Christmas when we received a call from the college saying that our son was critically ill with a rare disease. And within a week, he was gone. We brought him home. We had his funeral at the church. We paid all his expenses. We could not keep our son any longer. You know, my friend, our son hasn't cost us a dime since then. The dead never do. Anything alive, anything worth keeping alive, a child, a church, is going to cost and cost and cost. You know the story that um, B read for us about the workers in the vineyard. Some began at the beginning of the day, some started later, and some came along toward the end of the day, and some only worked the last hour. When it came to being paid, much to everyone's surprise, they were all paid the same amount. And of course, like those who worked all day, we can understand how that just didn't seem fair. In fact, they must have felt a little deceived. And yet, they got everything they were promised. You see, sometimes we focus too much on ourselves and what we don't get. Comparing ourselves to others, which is a very human thing to do. The point is, when asked, when asked, we are to join in the process and contribute, just as all the workers in the vineyard did. We all receive the goodness of the God figure as in the story. It doesn't depend on when you start. There are some listening this morning who have been working in God's vineyard, as it were, contributing year after year after year. Others here are new. But when asked, they contribute to the Master's plan and to the work of the neighborhood church. And let's not forget, whenever we started, there were others here before we came along, lots of others here before we came along, who were contributing. And that's whether we're 30, 40, 80, or 100, or more. You and I are measured in part by the way in which we receive the sacrifices of the past. Let me say that again. You and I are measured in part by the way in which we receive the sacrifices of the past. It is so much easier to criticize than to create. It's a lot harder to go from zero to one than it is to go from one to two or two to four. Now, I think there's something here for those of us who enjoy the benefits of the church, whether it be this church or any church. A lot's happened since that day when Jesus said to his disciples, I will build my church, Matthew 16:18. There have been all kinds of mistakes made by the church. Heresy hunts, 
indefensible alliances with evil and oppressive political powers, self-righteous judgments, exclusiveness, prejudice, insensitivity to change, missed opportunities for doing justice and showing mercy. But this is only part of the picture, and we know it. We are all recipients of something very special. For those who have gone before us have worked, sacrificed, and given to pass on to us a strong church and a commitment to mission and outreach to all God's people. Edwin Dahlberg has said that we are saddled in America with what might be called Fifth Amendment Christians. Fifth Amendment Christians. Christians who refuse to stand up and be counted, who refuse to pay the cost of discipleship in Jesus' name. Christians who talk a good line, but are deceitful and dishonest when it comes to giving of themselves, their skills, their abilities, or their money. Others have worked, and we profit from their work. Today, I think of how this truth relates to us and the all-too-easy way too many of us live off the work and sacrifice of others, not only in the church, but in our communities. Some years ago, in an address to the graduating class, the president of a state university recalled the sacrifice and expense involved in establishing and operating such an institution. He ended his speech with this question. When you leave this university to take your place in the world, Will you be worth what you cost? Will you be worth what you cost? For more and more, many of us serve our own needs and our resources are expended for our own pleasure. So, are we worth what we cost? One very good way to answer that is to find out what kind of person We really are. That is, what does a person stand for? What's a person's basic convictions? What are their values? Look at the stubs of their old checkbook, cash register receipts, bank statements, online accounts. That's a frightening thought, isn't it? What could be told about you or or me by our records, our checkbooks, our bank, card, our bank card statements, our online accounts. Has our money been spent on worthy causes and helping other people as well as on ourselves? It forces us to be honest with ourselves instead of deceiving ourselves about how generous we are. There's no way we can read the Bible without realizing that giving a proportion of our money to accomplish the will of God in the world is a basic to our religious heritage. One-third, a full one-third of all Jesus' parables and one-sixth of his teachings have to do with money and material possessions. The essence of his life was living for others and spending himself for others. I've learned something else over the years. Namely, that the people who love God and others and are truly faithful are those who share willingly 
and generously with others. And the people who take God, Jesus Christ, and the church lightly and talk critically about it are those who only want all they can get for themselves. They are usually self-serving, self-centered, unhappy, and as far as their faith is concerned, often deceitful. So along with faithful, committed people, the neighborhood church needs money. That's a reality. If we are to be about God's work in the world, it takes all of our resources, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And I really don't hesitate to raise the subject this morning. It's a very real concern. But even more important than the church needing money is that you and I need to give. We need to give. You see, there's goodness in giving this morning. There's goodness in giving. Now, with the World Series having ended last night, I, I wonder if some of us are lifetime rookies. We are playing the game just about the way we played it when we started. It's amazing how easily we confuse the number of times that we've been asked to give with how much we actually give. Some people are giving at the three or $500 level when the abundance of their resources could allow for so much more than that. And still others aren't giving anything at all. Now, I know that's not you probably, but it's just the way it is in our church. I came across a parody written on the words of Shakespeare. To give or not to give, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in a man or woman to take the gospel free and let another foot the bill, or make a commitment and pay toward church expenses. To give, to pay, aye, there's the rub. To pay when on the freeloader plan one may have a sitting free and take the gospel too. As though we paid and none be aught the wiser, save the finance committee, who most honorable men and women can keep a secret, to err is human, and human too, but to at cheapest rate. I'll take the gospel so, for others do the same, a common rule. I'm wise, I'll wait, not work, I'll pray, not pay, and let the other guys foot the bills, and so I'll get the gospel free, you see. It's better to give than to deceive. The pity is that some of us have not matured. We are still in the taking in stage and think that's all there is to the Christian life. I often hear people wonder, but what's in it for me? What's in it for me? To be young is to study in schools that we did not build. To be mature is to build schools in which we will not study. To be young is to sit under trees we did not plant. To be mature is to plant trees we will never sit under. To be young is to benefit from a church we did not make. To be, to be mature is to make a church which will benefit others in the name of Jesus Christ now and after we're gone. I think the biggest tragedy and greatest waste in life is to seek only our own pleasure 
and comfort. Life is not purchased by buying, but by the giving. And until we learn that, we are being deceitful with our God, our Lord, our church, each other, and especially ourselves. So let's take a hard look at things like our checkbooks, our bank card statements, receipts, online accounts, and see if we are worth what we cost. How do we measure up in terms of all that we've received? Money isn't grimy or filthy, and it's not bad to talk openly about money in the church. We would not have our collection box that's sitting right back here that most of you know about uh, that sits there. We wouldn't have that here uh, for our money if it were not every bit as important and beautiful as the flowers over here on the side of the sanctuary. But we don't think of it that way. But that collection box represents the beauty of all that we can do together in the ministries of the church when we pool our resources together. That can be such an amazingly beautiful thing. Friends, there's goodness in giving this morning. There really is goodness in giving. Edna Ferber once said, Some people help make the world. The rest just come along and live in it. Which will we be? Which will we be? Friends, if you had been born with a bank account in your name only, the only source of dollars for your living, an account you could draw upon as freely and as often as you wished, however, you didn't know the number of dollars that remained, but knowing that someday your dollars would run out, how would you spend your money? Well, guess what? You and I were born with an account, a life account, in your name and my name only. The only source of days for us to live, an account that we have drawn upon unceasingly. We have no way of figuring out how many days remain, knowing only that one day our days will run out. How do you and I spend our lives? Am I worth what I cost? Are you worth what you cost? Is this church worth what it costs? Is Jesus Christ and his gospel worth the cost? If not, then let's stop deceiving ourselves and others. Our world and culture focus on a standard of living which is all based on comparison. That's how we measure our standard of living. We compare ourselves to our neighbor, to another person, to the bigger house, the bigger car, this or that. That's how we measure ourselves. And I'm asking us today to focus on what gives meaning to all our living, and that is our, not our standard of living, our standard of giving. Our standard of giving. This week, you will all be receiving a letter from the Stewardship Committee asking for your giving commitment for 2023. 
We will be asked to bring our pledge cards to worship if we're here in town and able to come three weeks from today on November 27th, which we call Harvest Sunday. Our cards will be collected and dedicated to God for the mission and ministry of this church. Like the workers in the vineyard, it doesn't matter when we began, but that when asked, we respond. For, to our surprise and amazement, God's goodness and generosity are for all. And we are all blessed in the process. It's better to give than to deceive. The goodness in giving. Amen.